0: Alright, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer at the time of salvation and then we'll look at the what he does today continually and that what he does to, in the future. First of all, the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us. The fact that we are born again, regenerated reborn and so it, it, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit take a look at John 3.5 and then also uh, the Old Testament Ezekiel chapter 36 26 to 27 actually and then John 13.10 Ephesians 5.26 there are several passages here I'd like to go through all of them if we could but uh, for shortness of time we may not. John
1: 3.5 Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God.
0: While you're there, Ethan, read
1: uh, John 3.3. 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.
0: Okay, we have to be regenerated in order to see or to be a part of God's Kingdom and so this is a necessity for uh, all of us to be reborn sometimes the water throws people be born of water and they want to make that baptism and uh, which it is not it is uh, washing of regeneration take a look at Titus 3.5 for example Titus 3.5 some people want to make that a water birth because uh, people's water break before they our baby is born and they want to make that a, a water birth. Uh, that seems a little bit clinical for John and uh, Nicodemus back 2,000 years ago. And nowhere in Scripture do we find that birth is ever associated with water, physical birth of water anyway, even though that... Probably is physically true, but not... Scripture doesn't talk it that way. Uh, Titus 3, five.
1: He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, the washing in the Bible always speaks of being cleansed, being cleansed, and being cleansed of your sins specifically. Now that is an Old Testament prophecy found... In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and uh, 27. Ezekiel 36, 26 uh, to 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Okay, this is... uh, Uh, promise of the new covenant. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove your heart from stone, giving you victory over sin. We still live in the flesh, but we are new creatures living uh, in the old... uh, It's like living in a pig pen. You're brand new, but you're living in a pig pen and you're still going to fight the dirt of the flesh. So you have a new nature. 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, I think it is. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. A reference to the fact that you've been born again and made a new person. Also, before we leave, I think 1 Peter 1, 23 should be read. 1, 1 Peter 1, 23. 5:26 Ephesians 5.26 talks about uh, he might sanctify her by having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. So the word of God is like a washing uh, like physical washing when you take it in every day or as James puts it. You look into the mirror and the mirror doesn't clean you but the mirror shows you what you need to be clean. And it uses a very simple thing that some people look in the mirror and walk away. Other people look at the mirror and, and take action. Okay, what did I tell you? First uh, Peter 1? 23? Yes. For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So it's the Holy Spirit's role and minister to cause us to be born again. We're born again by the Spirit of God, Old and New Testament alike. He seals. Uh, take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 in that group. He seals, and then Ephesians 1, 13. Ephesians 4, 30 and 1, 13. He seals. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, you are sealed. In the days in which the Bible was written, you would have a a seal that you would carry on you and when you wanted to make sign your name you just stamped the seal in wax and that showed your authenticity so when God seals something it is sealed I remember working in a plumbing uh, warehouse when I was in college and we'd get a railroad car in full of plumbing stuff and the railroad car would be sealed and, uh, and if that seal was broken then there's a possibility somebody had already been in there but you always look for that seal and that was just uh, authenticity that it would if that's the way it was from the factory so Ephesians (coughs)
1: 1.13 After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise Okay, the You and
0: I were sealed at the point of salvation. God stamped his identifying seal upon us, which is the Holy Spirit. So we are sealed from the day of redemption forever. Good to know. So the seal is a mark of authenticity, just like it was at the tomb of Jesus. The Romans put their seal on that stone. If you broke that seal, you were subject to the wrath of the Roman Empire. Well, an angel broke it. and uh, It's not there any longer, is it? No. And uh, that tomb is empty. I don't know what to do with it. Any questions on those two things? Comments? All right, he indwells. 1 Corinthians 6:19. And uh, 20, and Romans 8, 9. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Lord, do you not know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. All right your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament we had a temple where God dwelt and His uh, in the Holy of Holies and when the temple was freshly built new and tabernacle later the temple there was a light in there called the Shekinah glory which was a sign that God's presence was there now every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit in your body and uh, he lives there. So the auditorium worship center is no more holy than this room or any room in this church as far as that goes. The only reason we treat it that way is a good place to keep it clean for worship and keep it nice for our worship assembly but that is not a sacred room by any means I mean I've been in churches where I I took over as pastors and uh, pastor and one of the cardinal rule was you don't eat in the auditorium and uh, couldn't eat in the auditorium because it was more sacred than any other room the only reason we don't eat in the auditorium is to keep it nice and clean and some people like to really put coffee in there and nothing wrong with drinking coffee in there or anything else as far as that goes but um, you know I would be the first guy to spill <laughs> and uh, they don't come out easy and we've been in there how many years? Six? Still looks nice, and I've had preachers visit here, and they tell me it really looks nice. And they say, "Wish we." I said, "Well, we've kind of tried to keep coffee out of it," and they said, "We wish we would," because it just keep, keeps looking nice. If you just want to look around, you can see these chairs. They've had a lot of coffee on them, and uh, I remember uh, one Saturday standing here, and we tried to clean all these chairs up. Uh, but you know, just keep it nice. Do you have rooms in your house where you don't let them eat? Some people do, just to keep them, just for not to send any hole air. Just keep it nice. But it's a personal opinion. Okay, He indwells us. Romans eight nine.
1: However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him.
0: If anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, uh, he does not belong to him. And we have a whole Pentecostal movement that believes that after you're saved, you have to pray for the Holy Spirit. So the distance, if I read this verse with that, the distance between when you accept Christ and when you receive the Holy Spirit and you don't have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you're not saved. This happens simultaneous with your salvation, whether you knew it or not at that time. And most of what happened to us at the moment we trusted Christ as our Savior, we found out later in the Word of God. All right, he uh, baptizes 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized in the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, the word baptism basically means that it's, bottom line, means identification. When you're baptized, you are identified with, with whatever and whoever to whom you're baptized. For example, uh, when you, joined, when you uh, were baptized after your salvation, it was a public demonstration that you are identified with a group of believers. It has nothing to do with your salvation or any spiritual merit. The spiritual merit is that you are willing to do it. It's not the act itself. And to be obedient to Christ you should be baptized after you are saved, not before. So we do not practice infant baptism at all. I mean, the child had nothing to do with it. This is a, it says in, first, in Matthew chapter 28, and uh, that passage here, it says, baptizing them, you win them to Christ, then you baptize them, which would exclude babies. You baptize believers. And so, and and plus, there's nothing meritorious in the act of baptism itself. The act that you are poured, sprinkled, or dumped, whichever way you happen to be. I've been baptized twice. I went to a a church where when you were a junior or senior, you were pretty much, not required, but pretty much, it was a tradition of the church that you would take catechism and then you'd be baptized. So I was baptized as a senior in high school. I waited as long as I could to avoid this. But my parents uh, persuaded me that I should be baptized, so I was. And uh, later I got baptized when I was already in the ministry. I realized that I don't even know that I was totally saved at that point. And uh, that if I, it had to have some meaning. So Uh, I, I was baptized later by immersion. Any comments? You are you are made one with Christ. So everybody here who has a born again at the moment of salvation, you were placed in the body of Christ. You are identified with Christ. You are one with Christ. So much so that take a look at 1 Corinthians 6.15. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall, then, shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Alright. Against fornication, against adultery, against pornography and those kinds of things. When you are a believer and you mentally or physically identify yourself with a prostitute, you're taking Jesus Christ and you're joining him with a (laughs) prostitute. That sounds vulgar, and it is. Serious sin. should be taken uh, seriously. Uh, Unfortunately... uh, Unfortunately, it's not, is it? You wonder how many people actually come to the marriage altar that are pure. (coughs) Is that taught anymore, you think? I don't think so. All right. How far have we gone? The present working of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing now in our lives? These were past acts. All things we've read so far happen at the moment of your salvation. They are non-experiential. They happen, you learn about them later, and it depends on how much of scripture you knew prior to your salvation. But the present working of the Holy Spirit is He fulfills. Take a look at Ephesians 5 18. 518. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. <coughs> dissipation is drunkenness. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what that means is when somebody is drunk, They are controlled by the spirit of the liquor, the wine, or drugs, or whatever. They're not under their own power, their own cognizance. They are uh, being controlled by another spirit. A quiet guy becomes loud sometimes, and a loud guy becomes quiet. And uh, they can't drive a car. How many people have been killed because of uh, drunkenness? Uh, that probably is a result in many ways of my own wife at one point when she was killed very likely that uh, there was a drunken truck driver so uh, it, it is a major problem right i don't think smoking marijuana is going to help it
1: <laughs> do you?
0: So, uh, I was looking at a passage, take a look at Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, when they wanted to choose uh, deacons, as it were, and they gave the qualifications, and uh, chose seven of them. Look at verse 3, the qualifications of the men they were to choose. Somebody read it, 6-3. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom,
1: whom we may put in charge of this need.
0: Okay, full of the Spirit. That's someone whose lives are characterized by the Holy Spirit. And if I were, if you were to characterize somebody by walking by the Holy Spirit, you can turn to Acts chapter 5 and you'll get what is called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Did I say Acts? In Galatians chapter 5 and uh, I want to say verse 22, but I think it's verse, uh, yeah it is verse 22. A couple verses there, five twenty-two and 23. Here's what the filling of the Spirit looks like. Galatians 5,
1: 23. A Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law.
0: Okay, you're at it rather quickly.
1: I <laughs> could <laughs> okay. slow it down the next
0: Slow it down, Nate, will you please? To a
1: 45? (laughs) (laughs) But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law.
0: No law against any of these things. So if you're walking by the Spirit, you're not walking by the law. This is the new modus of operandi for the church age. You're not under the Ten Commandments. Here's, if, you, if you're filled with the Spirit, here's what you'll be, which the Ten Commandments wanted you to be, but you couldn't be. Love, joy, peace, patience. That stumbles most of us. <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. That's the opposite of the world isn't it? You're number one and you deserve it. Do you deserve it? You're entitled to be it. So that's a filling of the Holy Spirit and that's to be presently and, and there's only one baptism of the Holy Spirit but there are many fillings. Many times we have to go back to our Lord and confess our sin say we've been out of sorts we need to get back into walking with the spirit and the fruit needs to be manifest so
1: yeah i love that illustration in john where you know where the, he wipes the uh disciples feet you know and peter
0: peter says well don't wash me but wash his feet but he's already made hope i'm just remembering right yeah you need that foot washing that cleansing well, he uses that foot washing as an illustration of the spiritual truth. Yeah. And that is, uh, you could in those days, when uh, you wanted to go out to eat somebody or somebody's home, you would take your bath, and then you would walk over to their house, and usually the sewer ran right down the middle of the street. People go out there and throw their wash basins, etc., and uh, the sewer slop would run right down to Smith Center of the Street, and you wore sandals. So you'd be walking and getting them dusty, and then you would jump over that little trough of water running down the middle of the street. Sometimes you'd miss. And so when you went into a house, you would, uh, the person would say, wash your feet. And you would come in, if it were the... Middle class, you'd probably wash your own feet. There'd be a towel there. If you were a, uh, a rich person, you would have a slave doing it, a servant. So all of these 12 men came in. Nobody washed each other's feet. Nobody washed their feet. And what was the, what was the big issue when they walked in, remember? What were they talking about? Who's going to be first in the kingdom? And even the mother got involved. And she wanted James and John to be one at the right hand and one on the left hand in the kingdom. And uh, Jesus kind of said, are they worth, with, willing to do what I do? Drink the cup I am drink, which was death. And so when Jesus uh, went around and washed their feet, That was kind of embarrassing, I think. Especially Peter. And many people think he was the first one that Jesus came to. And he said, wait a minute. You're not washing my feet. I need a whole bath. And Jesus said, you've already had that. Everybody's clean, but one. And who was that? Judas. Judas. So they all had had the bath of salvation. But they needed that daily cleansing of washing of their feet. And there's two words that are used there. There's luo, which is a Greek word for bathe. And there's nipto, the word for washing feet or hands. You've had the luo. You need the nipto. You need the daily cleansing. Any other comments? All right. He grants gifts. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 8. We'll talk about this in two weeks, a little more.
1: But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit.
0: All right, what we have here is the Holy Spirit gives out the gifts sovereignly. In other words, these are not, we're not talking about talents here, we're talking about spiritual gifts for the common good. In other words, each one of us have a gift to contribute to the body of Christ, and whereas that is true universally, it is true locally. Not all of us have the same gift, and we could go through all the gifts. Some have the gift of helps, and some have the gift of exhortation. Some have the gift of management, and some have the gift of teaching. And some have the gift of knowledge which in those days was when you didn't have the word, complete word of God, they had insight in where to go and what to do. So all of these gifts you have combined with your own personality make you a unique person in the body of Christ to contribute something. And so I, 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 I used to have a guy who ran away from the Amish he was uh, in the middle of 13 children. And his dad never did anything. He just sat on the porch, and all the kids did the work. They went to all the uh, various dairy farms in Pennsylvania and wherever else, and they worked for a living, and they would make money and put it in the pot. And my friend Mo, Marlin, called him Mo, Mo, uh, Decided he'd had enough of that. He's going to make his own living. Ran off to central Kansas, got saved. He joined up with a harvest crew of a Christian. Ended up becoming a Christian. Had only an eighth grade education. And uh, really became a great Christian guy. And I'd go over there and talk to him because he had the gift of uh, exhortation. You could walk in there singing the blues and you'd walk out there just feeling great. Just because of his mannerisms and his love for the Lord. And there are certain people that you've met that, that you are just encouragement to you. And there's others who just can manage. They can just look at a situation that's messy and clean it up. That's a gift. Administration. There's people with a gift of leadership. They can walk in and say, here's what we need to do. And and everybody seems to follow. So each of you have received one or more spiritual gift. And with a combination of your personality, it makes you a unique person. That is all given to you by divine grace from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord himself. Probably the best way to know what your gift is, what do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? If you could do anything in a church, what did you? What would you enjoy doing? See, that's why house churches are not do not really fulfill the word of God because people are not enjoying all the gifts that edify one another. Sometimes you walk in, you walk out. Maybe the sermon wasn't all that whippy, but you walked out and you were edified by somebody you met in the church. That encouraged you or led you. Some have the gift of counseling can take a serious problem and help you work through it. All of that makes up the body of Christ. That's why you need plurality of elders. You need elders who are leading the church that all have different gifts. So that we act as one. I'll talk about it a little bit. But you know the church of Jesus Christ together represents... If it's a godly church and it's operating what well, it should, the local church represents the person of Christ in that community. Jesus had all the gifts, he was perfect. And all the church together, with all of their gifts functioning by the filling of the Holy Spirit, that represents Christ. And when that's working to full capability, you can say to somebody come to my church that's the strongest witness we can have in a community the church backs you up backs us up in our testimony Bob and I were talking to a waitress this last week and she got it became obvious she didn't know where to go to church Of course we had a church for her (laughs) and we're not ashamed to bring her here. There are times I pastored the church I wasn't really excited about any new people coming in at that particular time. Because there was some disarray going on. He said, I don't know. Coming into our church, that may not this may not be the best time. But if it's operating like it's supposed to be operating, like it is right now, like we're operating right now we represent collectively Jesus Christ in the community. It's interesting to me when you study the New Testament, acts full of personal witnessing, when you get to the epistles, Romans and following, when you get to the epistles, where's the emphasis? It's the emphasis on Christian living within the church, loving one another, caring for one another, exhorting one another and taking care of business why? because the church then becomes collectively the real representative and you are personal witnesses of Jesus Christ backed up by a godly church does that make sense to you? that's what it's supposed to be unfortunately that's not always the case all right I feel a lot better. I got that on my chest. Roger, would,
1: would you agree that if if a, a church is too, truly doing God's will, Satan will constantly attack? If a church is not doing God's will, why does he, you know, he, he doesn't attack? So if you are doing doing God's will, he attacks constantly. Absolutely.
0: You're, you, you have the strongest witness of Christ in the community, and when Christ was in, on earth, who got the most static? Believers. Yeah, Christ. Yeah. They hated it. I mean hate. I'm not talking about we don't agree with them. We hate. Correct. You're even seeing that a little bit with people who are standing up for truth principles today. Uh, you, you stand up and you speak for uh, life, uh, pro-life, you're going to get hassled. If you're going to speak the truth, you're going to get hassled. If you're going to speak true biblical doctrine, you're going to get what? Hassled. Who do you guys think you are? Holier than thou? You know, that kind of attitude. We aren't good enough for you. Uh, No, you're good enough. You just believe the wrong thing. You know,
1: Uh, there again, just stick to the truth. Yeah, you can. If you if you have truth, stick to the truth.
0: Right. And stand for it. Absolutely. I believe it's going to become uh, probably increasingly more uh, that uh, churches are going to have to take a stand. We've had it really uh, really nice. The rest of the world is pretty tough. Uh, I read, uh, I got a little devotional book I read every day written by uh, missionaries. They're from out of MacArthur's church and they're all over the world and they write, they've written uh, little devotionals. And the one I read this morning uh, was uh, the name was withheld for security reasons and he said uh, the church where the churches where he is pastoring, or the religion where he is pastoring, is uh, just so contrary to the truth, and people are buying it. And it's Christians are are pretty dangerous uh, to be there. I, had a, I have a friend uh, we used to we used to support him. He, he had a broadcast in Magdala, Spain he and his wife, Boaz and Ruth, they called themselves. That was their radio name. And they broadcast into Algeria and Morocco. They broadcast Bible truths into this country, to Arabic Muslims country, Muslim countries. And uh, then he would go into the country. He was originally from one of those countries and so was she. Both were saved later in life. And they would go into these countries and follow up the Bible studies that people would send in. And they would go in under their real names, not Boaz and Ruth. They'd go in under their real names. And they would go to a house where the Bible study was, and only two or three people would come at a time. They would teach them, and then the two or three people would leave. Later, two or more, three more would come. Because if they had a crowd, they would raise suspicion, and the government would come clamping down on them. we don't have any of that we ought to really be thankful (coughs) and you know when it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 pray for your leaders you know what you're to pray for you're to pray that you continue to have the peace to worship because that is not true in most countries of the world we ought to really thank God for that really praise God for them. Okay. He leads. Unless you have more questions. Um, you're right, Keenan. Better
1: expect trouble. It's a good check in our own lives. Are we being challenged, you know, in our own lives, too? Not even just in a... Well, let's not get personal, Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah.
0: How much are we witnessing?
1: Exactly. I'll you know. t- I t- you can still challenge yourself too in another way. Are we having opportunities to preach the gospel to people? Are you? And then you got to ask yourself: Are you praying for those opportunities? You know, mm-hmm. is your heart in the right place? If your heart's in the right place, God will send people to you. Very good. Very good reminder. Hmm.
0: Pray for the Lord. What is it? You send forth labors. Which means YouTube.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There used to be a parody song, "I want to serve you, Lord, but don't send me to Africa."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm afraid that's true too often. What if your child wants to go as a missionary, willing to let him go and be gone for years, serve the Lord? Comes pretty close to home too, doesn't it? Alright, he leaves. Romans 8.14
1: For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are uh,
0: sons of God. Yeah. God. Okay, you're led. The Holy Spirit leads you. How do you know? You know, you see it more by hindsight than by presently, don't you? You look back and you say, man, the Holy Spirit led me there. Let me tell you, if you're walking filled with the Spirit and you're walking in obedience to the Lord, then you make the decisions with the wisdom God's given to you and you move on. And the uh, Bible says if you have any, uh, any uh, second thoughts, you're doubting the wisdom of God. So you weigh it all together, make a decision, and move on, and then live with it. Live with that decision. How many times have we made big decisions, or little decisions, and we right away want to change our mind? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who abradeth not. And he'll give you that wisdom. But let him ask in faith without doubt, without not wavering. Because why? You'll be a what? A double-minded man. Right? In all your ways. You don't look like you believe me. Turn to John or James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Hebrews, James. James 1 verse 5 and uh, 6. verse Read through 7. Read through 8. We'll stop there. 5 to
1: 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. All
0: right. We've seen these people, haven't we? Can't make a decision or make a decision and renege on it. You make a decision, pray about it, ask for wisdom. Do you have to plead for wisdom? No. He gives to all men how? Generously. Generously. I'll give you all the wisdom you want. So you weigh, like it says in Proverbs, uh, there's counsel and others. Weigh your decision, make your decision, and move on, and the next thing you know, you'll be tempted to say, ah, we shouldn't have made that decision. Move on. Trust God, and you will find out the Holy Spirit led you. I uh, I took a church in Kansas City, and everything went wrong. I mean, I faced issues there I'd never faced before, and I uh, had an opportunity to speak at Lincoln Christian. Spiritual weekend. I stayed in a house. They kept me in a house and the the basement. The lower level was all to myself. And I was was really wondering whether I wish I'd have stayed where I was. It was shortly, about a year or so afterwards. And I just settled it and finally settled it. You know, Lord, you led me there. And this is the decision uh, now. Putting it in my language, gut it out. Trust God and move on. And do what you have to do to to rectify the situation. If you're constantly going back and struggling with that, and I've met people and you have too constantly struggling with decisions, wow, that's unnerving. And that is um, not the sense of joy, is it?
1: To be in that position. Okay, I'm gonna ask the questions everybody's thinking, but nobody's gonna ask. Okay? You make a decision and you go one direction. And everything goes wrong. But if you if you go one direction, is God trying to tell you that you went the wrong direction or are you supposed to stay the course? How do you how do you know?
0: I well, mean, I, I think the key is if you've prayed about it, and asked God for wisdom, you go. If God wants to change your mind, he can do that at any point. But you pursue the course. We have another verse, don't we? Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. Okay, he made the wrong stupid decision. God will work it out. He works all things out for his honor and glory. You may have bought a uh, Escalade when you should have bought a Ford Ranger. <laughs> you may want to sell the Escalade and go back to the Ranger. I don't think you can, uh, I think if a person really walking with the Lord, just because things are going wrong does not mean it's a wrong decision. God tests us. And a lot of things, when you look at the tri- trials and tribulations of the, the children in the wilderness for 40 years, you often read this verse, God did this to test them. Mm-hmm. To test them. Huh? How strong is your faith? Remember, what did, they, what did they always want to do as soon as something went wrong? Oh, we love the leeks and garlics of Egypt. Yeah, you're not going back, people trust us i think another good principle is walk by faith and not by sight mm-hmm. god has shown us this is the way this is the way he'll change like mm-hmm. you said he'll change it brings stability in your life yeah. when you make it that, those kind of decisions it brings stability in. and and we like we had a sign in our home i don't think we have it anymore we used to have it on the refrigerator so it ain't home sweet home, it just and I'll tell you what, you can't get into a mess that God can't get you out of. Amen. It's
1: true. Like the old saying, trust and obey, there's no other way.
0: Right. I mean we've all been in corners that we wish you weren't in. And it was our own stupidity that brought us there, but by the same token, we have a God that uh, gets us out of those particular work, those particular things too. And then you look back and you say, "He led me all the way." Somebody gave us a nice little uh, plaque uh, for something, and uh, it said, it, "The the the poem on it is." Uh, I saw two steps and then all at once I saw one step one step of footprints and then two and I realized that's where Jesus was holding me during a rough time it was only his footsteps technically there should only be one set of footprints period because when you get to heaven here's what you're going to sing Jesus led me what all the way. You can't blow it. You just trust him. Did you make mistakes? Yes. Did I make mistakes? Yes. Am I going to make mistakes? Yes. But I have a God who is able to lead me to the end. Praise his name. Well, we'll have an altar call next, <laughs> but, does that help? It really helps. It helps me, boy. Now, I learned that. I, I was in a, when I went to seminary, I worked my way through seminary in a filling station. The old fashioned kind where you fill cars full of gas Wash their windows, vacuum out the car if they wanted it, check their oil, check their water, tires, all for 29 cents a gallon. We didn't like mechanical work in the back, and I was, I was one of the guys who did that. I had my feet over the back, over the seat, my, my head under the dash working on a heater, trouble light up here. The trouble I slipped burned my cheek. And I sat in seminary with guys who had lily white hands. And I had grease, you know, in, uh, in your knuckles. You couldn't always get it out. And I, th- and I was sitting there and I said to myself, I've had enough of this job. I sang a quick Johnny Cash song take this job <laughs> I see you were listening to Johnny Cash <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and then I got to thinking you know what I needed this job and I got it and for a gas station guy I'm getting paid pretty good and I'm the only witness in this station for Jesus Christ I can leave, or I can maintain my testimony here. And I had to make a decision. God led me here, and uh, this is where I belong. So I worked here three years during this seminary training. And one of the guys that one of the roughest guys there came to know Christ. And he told me when I worked here, he said, we've had seminary guys work here before, so try to win us to Christ, but don't try to win me to Christ. So said, okay, I won't say anything. His wife got cancer one day. I said, uh, Dave, you know, you, you don't want me to witness to you, but you want me to pray for you and your wife with this cancer situation? Would you, Rod? I know your prayers get through. Your testimony and my testimony in one of these these kinds of things matters it matters and people notice it take advantage Father we uh, we, are, we are we are really like sheep going astray if it weren't for your leading We just need your wisdom and your guidance, and we need to represent our Lord and Savior. We thank you for those opportunities, and as we are reminded, Lord, this morning, that we should be praying for these opportunities and taking these opportunities. Thank you, Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.